Welcome to A Fork in Time, the alternate history podcast. Welcome back to A Fork in Time, the alternate history podcast. I'm your host, Alexis Shelley. For today's topic, we're going to be visiting once again some familiar territory, the 16th century on the British Isles. But for this topic, Scotland is actually going to be in the driver's seat of events. Today's topic is the Battle of Flodden. In terms of troop numbers, this is actually the largest battle that was ever fought between the two kingdoms, England and Scotland. And this is another one of those topics that, much like the White Ship disaster, which we discussed in episode 21, the events that happened afterwards are familiar to people, but they might not be as familiar with what is considered kind of the flashpoint to kick off those events, which in this case is the Battle of Flodden. First, as always, let's start things off with exploring the what did, as we term it, happen in history. Uh, The Battle of Flodden was fought on September 9th, 1513. The King of Scotland, uh, James IV, declared war on England in defense of England's ally, France. So this is a topic that comes up time and time again, this age-old struggle between these three European powers, England, Scotland, and France. It's that whole notion of enemy of my enemy is my friend. Of course, in this case... Scotland and England being foes, so Scotland naturally aligning itself with France. Henry VIII, uh, the King of England at this time, had also opened up some old wounds. He declared himself the overlord of Scotland. Uh, Things were made much more complicated uh, by the fact that Henry and James were actually brothers-in-law. You have Henry VIII on the throne of England, James IV on the throne of Scotland. They are brothers-in-law. James was married to Margaret's, or, I'm sorry, to Henry's sister, Margaret. Um, so everybody's married, everybody's connected, uh, even though we're going to war, uh, having a battle, remember that. In the thick of the battle, James IV, he's actually defeated and killed, becoming the last monarch from the British, mon- British, British Isles to actually die in battle. He's not the last monarch to lead his troops into battle, I think that's one of the Georges, don't quote me on that, but he is the last British monarch from the British Isles to actually die while leading his troops into battle. The aftermath of the Battle of Flodden is that we have a minor now on the throne of Scotland. It is James the son, also James's son, also named James, uh, James V, who is crowned on September 21st, 1513, at just one years old. In fact, uh, the Battle of Flodden actually ushers in an era where we have three generations of miners taking the Scottish throne. Uh, following the premature death of James V, uh, who's king now after the Battle of Flodden, uh, he dies after the Battle of Solway Moss in 1542. We have a queen on the throne, his daughter Mary, who takes the throne at just six days old after the death of her father James the uh, James V. And then following Mary uh, was her son, James VI, who was declared king in 1567 at just one years old following his mother's forced abdication after the suspicious death of her husband, uh, James's father, James VI's father, 
Henry Stewart, Lord Darnley. A little bit more on him a little bit later in the podcast. But enough about the what did, since that isn't what we focus on here at A Fork in Time. Let's turn to the what if. And there are actually a couple of what ifs we can explore, and we can kind of take them in turn. Uh, the first is, what if James IV had survived to continue to be an adversary to Henry VIII? First, uh, James would have lived to see the birth of his son, Alexander, who was born on April 30th, 1514. Alexander's mom is, of course, Margaret, James's widow, but in this case, it would be James's wife uh, and the sister of Henry VIII. This would mean James would have a living heir and spare, as opposed to his brother-in-law, Henry, who's having some trouble in that department. Uh, for more on that, you can have a listen to episode uh, 14, uh, entitled Henry the Ninth, for discussion on that topic. I hope by now the listeners out there haven't gotten sick of listening to me talking about British history at this point. Uh, I hope, since I've made a couple of references now to previous episodes related to kind of these topics that we are discussing today, that it really illustrates just how connected everything in history is, that at one point going just a little bit differently could sometimes make a huge ripple in the ultimate fabric of history. So... Uh, going back to our what if, so to speak. So we have James, James Ford, still on the throne, still married to Margaret, uh, and he is a healthy heir and a spare. And if we look at James's ancestry, some of his forebears lived to be in their 60s and 70s. Uh, James himself was born in 1473, so I don't think it's completely out of the question just to see him living into the 1540s if his life isn't cut short in this battle in 1513. So is it possible, does he live to see his old age enemy and brother-in-law, uh, Henry VIII, die in 1547. I think that's not a far stretch of possibility. Uh, he only would have been in his 70s, and as I mentioned, 70s, 60s, or some of his ancestors living until, so it's possible. Uh, Scotland also would have been able to to continue to focus outwardly on the international stage of Europe instead of having to turn in on itself and deal with all these internal struggles and internal issues of multiple generations of minors taking the throne. If we've got a healthy James IV still alive, still on the throne, still married, he's got an heir and a spare, we have time for Scotland to focus more externally. So is it possible, with the stage of Europe looked different if Scotland had been able to ally itself with such powers as Germany or the Netherlands. Scotland itself is turning from being a a Catholic nation into a Protestant nation, so would they have allied allied itself with other Protestant nations on the world stage of Europe, countries like Germany, like the Netherlands? What would the uh, power landscape of Europe look like if Scotland had been able to do that instead of having to focus internally on the struggle of, struggles it was having. Another outco- outcome of James IV not dying at the Battle of Flodden is that there is no need for his wife Margaret to marry again, which she does on August 14, 1514 in the real timeline. Her second choice for her husband, husband is Archibald Douglas. He's the sixth Earl of, Earl of Angus, This is a bad choice, Margaret. Just hindsight is your friend, bad choice. Uh, This marriage caused jealousy among the nobles of Scotland, which ultimately resulted in Margaret losing regency control of her baby son. Uh, As I mentioned, her baby son is on the throne. He is 
a year old. So Margaret was regent, but after her merit marriage to uh, their Earl of Angus, Archibald Douglas, uh, there was some infighting between the nobles, and that ultimately resulted in Margaret losing regency of her son. This marriage also produced another child for Margaret. It was a daughter, uh, also named Margaret, after her mother. This little girl would actually grow up to be the mother of Henry Stuart, Lord Darnley. Does that ring a bell? Hope it does, because he is the husband of Mary, Queen of Scots, and the father of James VI. So without Henry Stuart in the picture, because there's no need for Margaret to marry again, she doesn't marry Archibald Douglas, she doesn't have Margaret Douglas, who doesn't have Henry Stuart, who would be a suitable husband for a, Scottish, a young Scottish queen like Mary, Queen of Scots. Would she try to mend fences by marrying an English noble? Or would she follow the pattern set out by her grandmother in the real timeline of history of marrying a Scottish noble that would ultimately lead to fighting, causing her to have to give up her throne in much the same way she actually does in the real timeline? My money, my money is on this option, on the latter. History does tend to repeat itself. If you study it long enough, you kind of see the patterns. So my money is that if there's no Henry Stuart, Lord Darnley, uh, Mary Queen of Scots probably would have married another uh, Scottish or English Scottish noble, and probably it would have resulted in the same thing that ultimately does happen in the real timeline of there's infighting, and she probably would ultimately have to give up the throne in much the same way that she did. Um, it just would have been not Henry Stewart; it would have been somebody else. There's another path we can take here, and it's one that I actually find really fascinating. So imagine James IV survives the Battle of Flodden, but then he invades England, and he kills Catherine of Aragon. Maybe not himself, he has somebody else kill her, but Catherine of Aragon ultimately dies. Well, if you're wondering why doesn't Henry VIII die, he is, of course, the king of England at the time. It's simple. Henry VIII wasn't in the country at the time of the battle. Uh, he was in France, and he had left wife, his wife Catherine as his regent while he was away fighting in France. This kind of goes back to why the uh, Battle of Flodden was even fought in the first place. Um, again, we have that whole thing of enemy of my enemy is my friend. Uh, Scotland and France were allies because Henry is attacking France. Scotland is attacking England. It's a whole big domino effect we have going on. So Henry is in France uh, fighting, so he has left Catherine in his place to be his regent. So if Catherine ultimately dies as a result of James winning the Battle of Flodden, uh, invading England, this is only in 1513. Henry and Catherine's daughter, uh, the little girl who'd be, who would grow up to be Mary I, she wasn't born until 1516. So there's one big diversion to history right off the bat. Uh, Mary I is the one child that survives in the marriage of Catherine of Aragon, and I'm not going to chase that furry woodland creature, as my dad would say, to see or would they have a son. Uh, let's just assume that they hadn't had any children, Mary was coming, but if Catherine dies three years before Mary is born, there's no Mary. So also, if Catherine dies in 1513, that means Henry VIII is free to marry again without requiring a divorce, since he is now a widower. He doesn't have a wife. She She's passed away. So he doesn't alienate Spain, uh, since he's not seen as casting aside his wife. He's merely a grieving husband who still needs to do what is right for his country by taking another wife and providing a secure future for his country with heirs to inherit the throne after him. So Henry 
doesn't alienate Spain because he's not seeing as casting his wife aside. There's also no need for him to break ties with Rome and the Catholic Church. Again, there's no need for a divorce. If your wife is dead, you can simply remarry. So it's um, he's not having to uh, break with Rome, break with the Catholic Church in need of that divorce. Catherine's dead. It's important to note here that in the real timeline of history, Henry never considered himself an actual Protestant. He was Catholic through and through until the day he died. He simply was looking for a way to rid himself of his first wife, Catherine of Aragon. Divorce was a way to do that, and the Pope was standing in his way. Side note, I actually did a whole paper on this topic uh, for one of my college history classes, and then I wrote a smaller version of that same paper for the final uh, for that class as well. Shout out to Dr. David Davis. You're awesome. You were a great history professor. You're actually one of the reasons I'm probably doing this podcast. He's amazing. Uh, it was for his class. It was actually Renaissance and Reformation. So right in the timeline we're talking about. So with James IV taking care of getting rid of Henry's wife, getting rid of Catherine, England remains Catholic, possibly even more of a hardline Catholic nation as it continues in an alliance with Spain, uh, which is famous for the Inquisition against those who didn't conform to the Catholic Church, Catholic Church specifically Jews, Muslims, but of course Protestants as well. Uh, so with this heightened sense of anti-reform thought in England, if Henry VIII decides he doesn't need to break with the Catholic Church, there's no room for those reform-minded people to kind of wedge themselves into the power structure of England. So you might have figures like Thomas Cranmer, who would eventually become the Archbishop of Canterbury, and Thomas Cromwell, who would become Henry VIII's chief minister later on in his reign. They might have fleed to the continent looking for somewhere safer to practice their faith. So that's another uh, major departure. We don't have those people who are kind of synonymous with some of those points in English history, they might have ended up in places like the Netherlands, like Germany, like those Protestant countries, um, because they decided that the, the religious heat, the heat on the religious stove is a little too hot for them, so to speak. So that is the Battle of Flodden, and what would have happened if first James IV had not died and instead lived to see a ripe old age, and then second, if James IV had seen history, took a little bit more of a different turn, and killed the other person who was in charge of England at the time, Catherine of Aragon. As with so many things that we cover here on A Fork in Time, it's interesting to see how just one change ultimately would have resulted in people who become so synonymous with the country's folklore, character, and history, they either might not have existed ever in the first place. Maybe we would have had no Mary the first. Maybe we would have had an Edward the sixth born to a Catholic queen that wasn't Catherine of Aragon, but wasn't maybe Jane uh, Seymour either. Or they those people might still have been around, but operating in a much different sphere of influence than what we are so familiar with, as was the real timeline of history. I want to thank you again for joining me today for this episode of A Fork in Time. As always, we love having you. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us, please visit our website at aforkintimepodcast.com. Remember, the A on the front is important and the podcast on the back is important. 
Otherwise, you won't find the website. Uh, but from there, you can see links to all of those various podcatchers where you can access the podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. They just kind of appear in your feed without having you, you having to do any work. It's magic. Uh, you'll also see a listener, listener survey on that website. We make it super easy. You can literally access it from every page on the website. Please take a few minutes and give us some feedback. It takes five, maybe 10 minutes tops. Most of the questions aren't even freeform. You just simply select an answer. It doesn't matter if you've been with us since the beginning of the podcast or if you just found us. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we already have. We've heard from a few people. Um, we're really excited to, to work with the feedback that they gave us. So if you're uh, so inclined, please go and fill out that listener survey. It would really help us. Uh, from that website, you will also find links to our social media. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Pinterest, and those are great ways for you to connect with us, but also to tell other people about the podcast. Uh, you can go and share uh, the episode. We always share the episode on our Facebook and on our Twitter, so you can share that with your friends, and uh, if you think they'd be interested in the podcast, that's a great way for you to get the word out for us. Last but certainly not least on that website, you will find a link to our Patreon page. If you are so inclined and you are able, we would love to have you support the podcast. There's a few costs. They're, they're minimal, but there are a few costs involved. And we would like to, uh, if you'd like to be able to, we'd like to be able to continue doing this for as long as possible. So if you're able to support us in that way, we would greatly appreciate it. But of course, the easiest way you can support us is by giving us your time when you listen, whether that's in the car, if you're getting ready for work like I am when I'm usually listening to podcasts, or if you're just having a lazy day around the house, uh, we really appreciate you just giving us your time by listening. Uh, I myself have about 10 podcasts or so that are in what I like to call my regular rotation. So if we've made it, if you're one of those people and we've made it into your weekly podcast rotation, we're really excited and we really appreciate you taking the time out to listen to us. So this is Alexis Shelley signing off from another episode of A Fork in Time. I'll end, as always, with that famous Yogi Berra adage that we tweaked just a little bit for uh, use here on the show. If you find A Fork in Time, take it. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks for listening to A Fork in Time, the alternate history podcast. Join us next time.